bank balances, salary, joint accounts, credit card debt, mortgage repayments. Do these words make you shudder? Well, today on Women of the Business, we're not shying away from taboos. We're tackling all things women and money. Money shapes our personal and professional lives in dramatic ways, but we're often reluctant to speak about it. Today, we're talking to two experts about their own experiences with money and revealing why it's important we start to open up this conversation. Before we go on, today's episode contains some strong language and discusses domestic violence. If this raises concerns for you or someone you know, there's support available on 1800 Respect or Lifeline on 13 11 14. Okay. Are you happy to take it go. away? So my name's Corinne Prosk and I lead a small social enterprise called Speckle. And we look at delivering ethical loans to people who are on lower incomes or vulnerable. I come from a multicultural family. And I think through that, we've always had a really strong focus around fairness. So fairness is kind of an underlying theme in in everything I do. So I started with my university studies here at the University of Melbourne, did a Bachelor of Commerce, kind of broke all ranks. Um, My father wanted me to go into science or medicine. But I really had been, I travelled to India and I'd actually seen what poverty looked like and felt that um, business was a technique and a tool that we should really explore. It sounds like the bedrock of your career is this concept of fairness. It's not so much a traditional route to go down to study commerce and, you know, achieve that goal through business. I think a lot of people would assume, you know, going into politics or the public sector or even working for a non-for-profit. Can you just explain more about your thinking behind doing commerce and, you know, going into business and how you think that that has made an impact? My, my idea is, is the world as we know it and the economy and the constructs we have are led by money. So if you're going to change those constructs, you've actually got to be working at how you shift that money. Uh, so I started working with the National Australia Bank and worked there for quite a long time where, again, I was working on how do banks understand their social licence to operate. Through that, I ended up in the area of microfinance and lending for people who get left behind by the banks. Microfinance is a concept that came out of Bangladesh in the 1970s, led by an entrepreneur named Muhammad Yunus. After terrible flooding, Muhammad lent $27 to a group of women who made bamboo baskets. The money helped the women settle their debts and get back on their feet. Since then, microfinance has become a global movement in the developing world, and Yunus has gone on to win a Nobel Peace Prize for his work. But it's not as commonly used in developed countries. Corinne helped the National Australia Bank build a program for Australians on lower incomes and then went on to found Speckle, a small lending firm that offers cheap loans to tide people over between paydays. We're dealing about 50-50 with men and women. Mm -hmm. Um, We we see a lot of our customers are in the gig economy or they're in shift work. So we see retail, hospitality um, and the, the new group we're seeing a lot of is healthcare, which is kind of concerning. But, um, you know, nurses are on shift work. You can have shifts up and down. And so we are increasingly seeing women come through and using these types of products as a, you know, a top up on their income. Mm. What do you think the key issues are in your mind when it comes to women in personal finance? Financial independence is a priority for a woman for, for a few reasons. One is and we're starting to see that, is that poverty is more likely for a woman in Australia than for a man. 
Part of that is around the caring duties. It's also around the pay equity piece. We also know that many women stay in violent relationships because of a lack of money and ability to set up outside of that. So I think that for women to really grow to their potential, financial independence is a cornerstone. It was while she was working in the finance industry that Corinne realised she was in trouble herself. A couple of years ago, I came out and told my story. I was in a relationship that was financially abusive. I didn't see it initially. You know, you think it's all going well. He clearly had some financial concerns and problems and how he managed money. And initially, I was generous. I didn't get it. And the next you know, several years later, I'm realising that suddenly the person who works with people on delivering solutions is actually impacted herself. Mm. Now, the shame I felt at that point was, it took me a while. The wake-up call came at Christmas when Corinne noticed her partner had taken money set aside for her kids' presents. You know, back to my sense of fairness, mm. that just graded, how could you compromise the kids' Christmas? Luckily for Corinne, she had the money and support network to get herself and her son out of that situation. But many women don't have those same advantages. Financial abuse sits within the definition of family violence and it's really when someone uses money to control someone else. But we tend to assume that it's people on lower incomes who are most vulnerable to this. This cuts across the entire community. I think in terms of family violence, it's one in six women and we're estimating that 90% of those will experience financial abuse. Money is one of the key controlling mechanisms and definitely within a violent relationship enters far earlier than, say, physical violence. As soon as you're talking about a power imbalance, it could be anybody. It is about not allowing people to access their bank accounts. It is about taking debt on their behalf. Um, it's about forbidding people to work and earn their own income, uh, identity theft and presenting as someone else um, and refusing to contribute to things like household expenses. Mm. Um, this happens to a lot of people. There is a lot of shame attached to it. So you say that you didn't realise. Do you reckon that a lot of women don't realise that that's the dynamic of their relationship? It's, it's insidious. It starts. It's like, you know, we always ask women in family violence, why didn't you leave? You don't see it when it starts. It creeps up on you. And I got out of there because I had this beautiful boy and I didn't want him to grow up with a mother and a woman who was going to put up with this. And I think a lot of women leave for exactly those reasons. Mm. I also had the network and family who were able to give me the moral support and I had the fortunate piece that I had put enough money away that I wasn't going to actually, you know, I could I could work through this situation. Mm. Many people can't work through it. I've subsequently had um, several conversations with my friends and realised that it's sitting all around me. And then we open the conversation at work and, you know, I have a workforce which is largely women. Uh, yes, it's happening in there too. Mm. So it's no group is excluded, no income level is excluded. Uh, it's just a conversation we need to talk about around how do people feel about money, how, how do they feel about it on their own and how do they feel about it within their relationship. 
Abuse is just one stark example of the disadvantages women face when it comes to money. I'm Karsten Morawski. I'm an economist in the Department of Finance in the Faculty of Business and Economics at the University of Melbourne. And I'm also a co-director of the Brain, Mind and Markets Lab. I'm an economist by background and by training and have worked in the financial industry before I started doing a PhD and before I became an academic. Karsten studies the choices that people make, particularly choices that affect the future, such as saving money. He's particularly interested in how decisions around personal finance can affect well-being. Women are, in general, are much more likely to experience poverty in Australia. Uh, an important variable in finance, of course, is uh, is income. If if you if your income is high, then a lot of things in finance become much easier. The the income discrepancy or d- d- gender gap um, in income is really one of the main causes for um, that. Then has a lot of follow-on effects, including in superannuation mm-hmm. and and so on. The major stresses that um, women experience when it comes to finances are divorce, um, having children, um, severe illnesses, single parenting, but also job loss. Mm-hmm. When we look at women, the group that uh, that has the highest prevalence of financial stress are um, single uh, women and uh, within that group, particularly uh, single parents. Mm-hmm. Divorce rates in Australia are relatively high, uh, apparently about 20% of Australians between 45 and 64 are divorced. Mm-hmm. And um, a divorce does have uh, quite substantial effects on you know, employment, income, asset holdings like home ownership and, and so on. And in, in most of those um, areas, women fare much worse th- than men. Young women in their early to mid-20s are increasingly at risk too, even if they are relatively well off now. There are uh, sort of what we call maybe early warning signs with regards to financial vulnerabilities they might be encountering later in their lives. For example, over a quarter of young women um, have no superannuation at the moment. Work life is uh, in general becoming, for young people, is becoming more volatile, more uncertain. And um, at the same time, that age group um, faces the same level of income inequality that women did 20, 20 years ago. All of these disadvantages tend to accumulate and manifest later in a woman's life. Here we observe the highest levels of poverty amongst the elderly and specifically uh, among women. In fact, Australia has the highest old age poverty rate in the amongst OECD countries, which is a massive concern. At the time of retirement, superannuation balances of women in Australia on average are only about half of those of men. The superannuation system was built in the early 90s, and since then, men have reaped much larger rewards at retirement compared to women. What caused this huge gap? One major contributing factor is the gender pay gap that we mentioned earlier. Another really important factor is the time out of uh, the workforce in relation to childcare uh, responsibilities and other caring responsibilities. And then 
the fact that, which is related, that women, when they go back into the workforce, they often work part-time. The fact that women leave the workforce when they when they have children also means that even if they go back to work full-time, that their career often progresses more slowly than um, the careers of men with uh, equal qualifications and, um, and so on. What that means is that women have less opportunity to accumulate wealth, if you like, um, through superannuation, which is then reflected in the lower balances at the time they retire. Women tend to live longer than men, so they they would actually need more money in retirement because they have to fund a longer period post-retirement, but the opposite is the case. And that that's probably one reason why we see these high rates of um, old age poverty primarily amongst women. Another factor that makes women more vulnerable is financial literacy. The Hilda Survey of Australian Households tracks this gap by asking five basic finance questions. In 2018, it found that half of Australian men could answer all questions correctly, but only 35% of women. It also found that people with low financial literacy are twice as likely to experience poverty. So a lot of people would argue that men are better with numbers than women which might mean that they would think that, oh, well, men are just better at making financial decisions than women, therefore. Is there any biological basis why a man would be better at managing his personal finances than a woman? There certainly is none that I'm aware of. Uh, I don't think the differences in the brain are some are somehow the place where we should look first to fix the disadvantage of women when it comes to finances. I think one important point to mention is when you look at something like super, you know, it's a very high level outcome that's affected by a vast array of factors. Um, some of them have to do with ourselves. A lot of them have to do with society, uh, including social norms, but also policy and so on and so forth. But even something like savings behavior is affected by a vast array of factors. Uh, so, you know, uh, trying to, to relate something like superannuation outcomes at retirement age to something in your brain, in, you know, in, I think that would be um, a rather lunatic endeavor. <laughs> <laughs> the gender pay gap can set women up for a lifetime of financial disadvantage, making them more vulnerable to poverty and financial abuse. Is there anything they can do about it? I always say to my girlfriends, a man is not a plan. <laughs> and, um, you know, we, we have the beauty in this a country of being able to work, so be able to get our own income in, but also then manage our expenses within our income. This can be particularly important in abusive situations, such as the one Corinne found herself in. It's interesting. I don't know if you've heard of this, but a few years ago, I read about this thing and it stuck with me so much. Um, called the, this, it was this article that said that every woman should have a I'm going to swear. Every woman should have a fuck-off fund. Yes, I read that article. Yeah. And so the concept is... So I have my fuck-off fund. Yes, so do I. So the concept for people who don't know is that um, the idea is every woman should have a fuck-off fund with a significant amount of money uh, that is there for you when things don't pan out the way that you think they're going to, whether that be you suddenly lose your job uh, or, you know, even situations where women need to quit jobs because their boss is abusive um, or if you're in a relationship and you need to, you find that relationship's not working and you need to move out 
all of a sudden. Um, and just every woman should have this little buffer. Um, and I just, as soon as I read that article, I was like, that's it. I have my fuck off fund. And I think every woman should have that fuck off that's fund. Right. Yeah, that's right. And that's, it's that kind of piece that leads to that independence. It's not about being negative on anything, but it's giving you the choice and to choose to stay in something is really important. Mm. Women should also talk to each other about finances to arm themselves against gender stereotypes around money. I'm friends on a couple of Facebook groups. One is Mums Who Like to Budget. And it's this great collective of women across the country who talk about their savings tips, who post photos of how they've saved money on the groceries this week, where to buy, all of those kind of things. So there is a changing discourse around money and how to how to manage it, and that it's okay to say, it's been tough this week, how do I make that shortfall up, or or are there other tools to get me ahead? Hmm. I've started to initiate it personally with my girlfriends around, let's talk about where everyone's struggling on this, because each of us will have ups and downs and moments where it's easy or difficult, and you can share or provide insights. And I think also for people not feeling like they're on their own in these decisions, allows you to have longer term decisions. When people feel really um, stressed and frustrated with money, they tend to make very short term calls that have long-term ramifications. Whether it's taking out a high-cost loan, whether it's, you know, this is all too hard, so we'll go down to Macca's and buy the meal, which means it will be short for dinner tomorrow, those quick fixes become much more attractive. Mm. Um, So helping people think through about what do we need to do in six months, 12 months, super. Corinne also points to rigid social norms around money. For instance, the expectation that couples will join their finances when they get together. I think that's part of the cultural piece and the attitude around money we've got to shift because in the 50s and 60s, that was probably okay because only one person worked in the family. Most women were not allowed to work after they were married. Um, you know, their employer wouldn't allow them, the husband wouldn't allow them, so it was different, different circumstance. But we've got to shift to today, the gig economy, changing approaches to how relationships are run, changing approaches to who the breadwinner is, how money's worked, how super's structured. Super is about the individual. That joint account's great if you're paying bills together, but do you really need to join everything? Mm. A joint bank account can be a great thing if it's not your sole bank account, but if it's your sole bank account, it can also put you at a high risk of financial abuse. We've talked a lot about what women can do, but Carsten says it can't all come down to them. We talk a lot about what women need to do to fix their issues. For example, you know, how do we get women to learn more about finances? How do we get women to save more of their income, etc.? When in fact, we should stop, uh, you know, putting all the responsibility on women and, and ask what men can do, because and it's men who uh, who often make decisions about who to hire, who make decisions about how much to pay their employees in organizations. It's men who decide to do less work at home home than, than their female partners and, and so on. So I think uh, it's very important that we recognize this as a, as a problem, not just for women, but for society as a whole, including men, and um, for men to step up uh, to the plate and, and do their share of the problem solving here. The pay gap isn't going to close overnight, but there are other things that businesses, particularly financial institutions, can do in the meantime. 
This has been a hot topic in Australia since the Banking Royal Commission found widespread misconduct in the financial services industry, particularly around exploiting people experiencing disadvantage. Carsten recently experienced this personally. My father uh, passed away last uh, last year and suddenly my my mum had to take over the, the finances which wasn't something that she was really into so went to the the bank uh, with her and from the first meeting she was basically bombarded with attempts um, trying to sell her things uh, services or products that she didn't need at a highly inflated price and often the reasons that she was given for buying a service uh, uh, were complete nonsense. And so after a while, I made a I made a complaint to the bank because I, I just found it uh, unbearable and um, also unconscionable, really. But it, it, it continues. Mm. It's just, uh, it seems to be ingrained somehow mm. in the culture of at least some of those organizations. And uh, so again, if you are part of a vulnerable group, you are just constantly exposed um, to attempts, conscious or maybe sometimes unconscious, conscious to, to lose money in, a, in one way or another or to make a decision that's not in your advantage. Mm. And so I, 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 I believe the industry as a whole really needs to up its game mm. to make sure that it, it looks after people's financial well-being as, um, as well as possible rather than just trying to sell products and services. Corinne mm. mm. says we need to keep having these difficult conversations and continue to put pressure on businesses. Look, I think there is some work being done around vulnerable consumers um, through the banking, the Australian Banking Association, uh, and I, I just want that work to, to start rolling and really get some legs. I know the, the awareness and the discussion around financial abuse is much greater than what it was, thanks to Ros Rosie Batty in a large part. One of the things we haven't even, we're just commencing talking about is actually elder abuse. That's where children sponge off parents and women in that case tend to be the most impacted and the least likely to report because no one really wants to look into the fact that your kids are prepared to, to do that to you. So I think there are some things that are happening there, but we just have to keep pushing it. The banks can see it through bank statements or can start having that conversation. Um, they're tough conversations. Um, but now I've noticed that when you get a loan out yeah, and there's a guarantor, you actually have to have independent legal advice around that. Mm -hmm. They're the kind of things we really need to shift. Mm. And I think, you know, pay equity. If a big business wants to do something, just pay men and women the same amount. <laughs> At some point, everyone has to have a conversation about money with a spouse, a roommate, your kids, your ageing parents or your boss. As we've found out today, these conversations, or lack thereof, can make or break our financial futures. Thanks to our guests, Corinne Prosk and Professor Karsten Morowski. People concerned about family violence can call the National Helpline on 1800 RESPECT or Lifeline on 13 11 14. Subscribe to Women of the Business for new episodes every second Wednesday. If you enjoyed this episode, don't forget to rate and review. For more insights on how women work and live, head to our website, fbe.unimelb.edu.au forward slash women are the business. Women are the business is recorded on Wurundjeri land at the University of Melbourne. The podcast is produced by Seth Robinson, James Whitmore and me, Sophie Thomas. It's recorded by Chris Hutzis, edited and mixed by Audiocraft's Camilla Hannan. The theme music comes from Epidemic Sounds.